0: The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. We're sitting here this morning and um, no, no hands, but how many of you are sitting here this morning and you would say, you know, Craig, I don't know God's will for my life. I really don't know what he's trying to do in my life. And if you're that way, you're not by yourselves by any stretch. How can you know God's will? How is it possible to know the mind of God? If God has a plan for my life, how does he reveal it to me? How does a sinful, finite human being like myself come to know the mind of an infinite holy God? Well, I can tell you right at the first, if you're questioning that, the answer is emphatically yes. You can know the will of God. And not only that, it's God's will that you know his will for your life. Well, let me first say to you then that if it's God's will that I know his life, then there has got to be a way to find it out. There has to be something through the Scriptures that can instruct me and give me a clear understanding of how to proceed. In the, in the verses we've seen of the last couple of weeks, Paul has written of the aspirations that should characterize all Christians. He has spelled out in clear statements personally what he feels and what he does and what we all should be doing. He's written of of his desire to forget all those things that are behind, to press on. As we saw last week, everything in our lives that would seek to hinder what we think should be going on is to be forgotten, laid aside under the blood of Christ, and to press on to where he's leading us. He has written of his desire to move forward. He has written of his desire to know the mind of God. He's told us clearly about living in the image of Christ. And then he brings us to our our verse this morning, Philippians 3.15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. So we have in chapter 3 a pattern that should characterize all our lives and our walk of faith, but it's based squarely on the knowledge of the facts of God. We're not talking about wishful thinking. We're not talking about pie in the sky or hocus-pocus trying to find the will of a holy God. He clearly gives us a specific outline as to how to know his will. And in this verse, Paul says that in spiritual things, the Philippians could know for a certain the will of God in in their lives. And of course, we apply that to our lives today because the word is written for us and find out clearly what God wants to do. I mean, consider for a moment how an airline pilot flies by instruments. You know, there's a lot of times where because of weather, he can't see where he's going. He may not even be able to see the direction at all. But because of the instruments, he is able to navigate clearly the path he's to go. I remember when I was 12 years old, my father got his private pilot's license, and I had the opportunity to go with him on a couple of his lessons with the instructor. And I remember one evening, as we took off, this was to be a lesson about instrument flying. And as we got up to about 10,000 feet, the instructor reached over and put a hood on my father's head, that kept him from seeing outside. All he could see is the instruments. And I started to shake a little. Yeah, know, I'm 12 years old. And the instructor turned around, he said, oh, this is to help your dad not be tempted to look out and see what he can see. This is to help him to see nothing but the instruments. And I'm like, that's good for you, you know? And I'm constantly looking out, both sides of the plane, you know, he can't see. I'll be his eyes if I need to be. And I had this overwhelming desire to have to see with my own eyes where we were going. But we flew for about an hour. He never once saw the outside, and he flew very carefully on the instruments. And, you know, it's been the same way with you and I in our spiritual lives The text doesn't mean that we can always see more than one step ahead in our Christian lives. It doesn't mean that we'll always be able to see ahead at all. But it shows that God has a specific plan that he will reveal and guide us step by step. I think one of the best verses for this is Psalm 119, verses 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It doesn't say that it is a halogen spotlight shooting way down the path. It doesn't say it musco lighting like we have in stadiums today to light up the whole stadium. It's simply a lamp that lights the immediate area around your feet. And as you take steps forward, that lamp goes before you, continuing to light your feet. And that's what the verse says. The Word is a light unto my feet and a light unto my path. So, understand... First and foremost, God will reveal himself. The basis for this lies in the very nature of God. For it is God's nature to reveal himself and his purpose to us. I mean, God is a spirit. He's infinite, eternal, unchangeable. And in his being, he's wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth, love. And he desires to reveal that to us. So consider for a moment. If all these attributes are true of God, and we know they are, then the very nature of God demands that he reveals himself to us and his specific will for each of our lives so that we can live in the very image of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. How could we ever follow this verse that says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son. How could we possibly follow that if he doesn't reveal his will for our lives? This is his purpose, to reveal it. I mean, when God made the world, he made it to reveal everything about himself, His nature, His love, His compassion, looking out at the whole world and seeing every aspect of it from the four seasons to stones and rocks and mountains and birds and animals and creeping things and everything about the earth, to understand that there is a clear designer. And He said in Romans 1 verse 20, For this invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. So the Bible clearly reveals that by nature itself, it reveals who God is. And so those that refuse to believe in God are literally straining to believe the absurd rather than give up what they cherish the most. When God caused the scriptures of the Old Testament and the New Testament to be written, he wrote them to teach us about himself. He wrote them to teach us about the redemption plan of Jesus Christ. In fact, you can find Christ in every book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's a clear message for all of us about who he is. And then finally, just as God revealed his power in nature and his purpose in scripture, he also revealed his personality in his son, Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus properly said of himself in John 14, verse 9, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And you know, the beauty of this is that God, in his infinite wisdom, knows that we have problems because of our sin nature. And not only is creation designed to show us himself, not only did he give us the scriptures. But in sending Jesus Christ, he revealed his own nature, his own personality, one of love and compassion and mercy. So if you think about this for a moment, on the basis of all this, Donald Gray Brownhouse used to say that it was actually impossible for a Christian who wanted to know the will of God not to find it. Because that's how clearly God wants us to know it. So then we need to understand, as our next point says, I can know the will of God. Now, with that being said, there are certain principles that we need to be clear on. If I want to know God's will, then I must first be ready, number one, to do God's will. If you really want to know God's will, you've got to be ready to do His will. Ever get an important letter and you want to open it but you're afraid to? You know, maybe it's a a letter from the college you've been trying to get into and you hope you got accepted but you're afraid to look. Or maybe you've interviewed for a job and you get a letter from the company and you're just, did I get it? You want to open it but you're afraid to open it because you're afraid of what it might say. I think in a lot of ways people are afraid of God's will. How many of you think that, boy, if I just take God's will, wow, I may wind up doing something I don't want to do? I think we've all thought of that at times, I think. In fact, I, I probably shared in the past a story about a good friend of mine from college who he grew up in the missionary's home. He felt God wanted him to be a missionary, but he didn't want to go back. He didn't want anything to do with missions, and he fought it for four years in college. And then finally... He discovered something. And, of course, this was the time I discovered as well, Psalm 37, 4, that you hear me like a broken record. Delight thyself also in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of his heart. So, So what he did, he surrendered everything to Christ. He said, Lord, if you want me to be a missionary, I'll be a missionary. If you want me to be a stonemason, I'll be a stonemason. If you want me to do anything, you name it, I will do it knowing it's your will. And you know what happened? God changed his heart. And he did wind up being a missionary. Only with the heart he had, he couldn't wait to get there. Because it was the deep desire of his heart. You see, I think the biggest thing you and I wrestle with is the reality that what God wants is the ultimate best I could ever have. And with that, he will provide everything I need to be ecstatically happy about what I'm doing. It's a real, real key thing. So he clearly says in John 7:17, 7, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Now in this verse, Jesus was speaking literally of the rejection of his doctrine by the Jewish leaders. He was actually teaching as well the great principle of knowing the will of God and consistently being willing to do it, whatever it is. You don't seek after something you don't want. Do you really want God's will? Because according to the Scriptures, it's there for you to know. Also, number two, we must be honest that at first... We don't want to do it. I just touched on that a little bit. We must be honest with ourselves. If every, everyone wanted God's will, this would be the most incredible church on the face of the earth. People's attendance would be infinitely better because they'd want to praise Him. They'd want to worship Him. They'd want to hear the Word preached. They'd be involved in ministries. They'd be doing all kinds of things because all they wanted was God's will. But we have to be honest with ourselves. That's where the flesh begins to struggle. Because we have this sin nature that constantly wants to pull us to the things we want to do and the things we feel are important. Romans chapter 8, verse 7, it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostility to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So what we have here is those who don't know Christ as Savior, they're, they're living literally <clears throat> in hostility against God. But what does that say about the children of God, God's people, who don't want to live according to his will for their lives? We're constantly quenching the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians tell us, and constantly going our own way and fighting this battle. And we're even very much like uh, the Israelites when they first came out of Egypt. The scripture says that it was about 600,000 men, plus women and children. So when you calculate it, it's somewhere in the the, uh, amount of 2 million people. They had been led into the desert where temperatures were over 100 during the day and below freezing at night, and they couldn't survive in this kind of environment. But the miracle was the miracle of the cloud, which signified God's presence with the people and led them in their wanderings. The cloud was large enough to spread over Israel, to shade them from the sun during the day. And it was also gave them warmth at night when it turned into a pillar of fire. And this cloud, when it moved, they moved. When it stood still, they stood still. Now all this sounds wonderful, but imagine how frustrated the people might be. Exodus 40, verses 36 through 37, says, Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day it was taken up. So sometimes it moved fast, sometimes it was slow, and I can just hear their frustrations. Are we moving? I just set up camp. Got to tear it down again. Are we moving here? How much longer? How much farther will we go? They grumble about the manna. They grumble about all these things. They are free from slavery, but they're grumbling about life. Does that strike a chord with anyone? We're saved by accepting Christ as Savior, but do we grumble throughout the weeks and days because life isn't the way we want it? Or are we totally surrendered to Jesus Christ? The people must have hated this constant moving cloud, But you see, by these means, God was molding a nation of undisciplined slaves into a disciplined force that would be able one day to conquer the Canaan area. And it's the same with you and I. I mean, let's face it. Neither you nor I really want God's will. What we want is our will. We would never select God's way of training us, but we must go through it. We must reflect Jesus' words in the garden when he said, not my will, but your will be done. So to know God's will, we must first come to the point where we want to do it. And this may be the place where we just have to stop and be very real with ourselves. Do I really want God's will? Would a true child of God settle for anything else? Consider the reality. Do I really know better than what God knows? Could I possibly really know how to plan my life without him? Nothing can be the will of God unless we surrender to it and allow him to lead us. His will is according to His principles. And this is something that we need to understand as well. In following the will of God, we need to know God's principles. Nothing can be the will of God that is contrary to the Word of God. And God who is leading you now is the God who inspired the Bible. And He is not contradicting His own words now. God's will is expressed in several key areas. Number one, you must be born again. John 6.40 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on his Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. If you're not a Christian, and you've not accepted Christ as your Savior, God is not interested in helping you determine which job to take or who to marry. There is one priority, and that is your heart and your soul. He's interested in whether or not you will believe in Jesus Christ. And God wills for you at this point is to know him. And it will. he will not go any farther until that deal is settled. The word of God is spiritual, and only the spirit hears and understands. And so we need to accept him and understand who we are. And secondly... If it contributes to your growth, it is God's will. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or reasonable service, depending on your your translation. So if God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, Veiled his attributes, came down, took on the form of man, lived this life with us, suffered, died a brutal death, was raised from the grave in order that your sins would be forgiven. Isn't it the least we can do to give him our lives? Isn't it the least we can do to live as a living sacrifice, putting him first in every area of our lives? And it says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we live as living sacrifice. We're not conformed to this world. We're transformed by being in his word and getting his understanding as the Holy Spirit's rule is is to teach us in all things. Then when that is done... You see what clearly happens. We know the will of God, and we know what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there is no mystery. This isn't a plan designed only for preachers and theologians. It's a plan for the lowliest of person. The widow, who has nothing to her life except her faith in Christ, can know it just as well as a brainiac theologian. God's will is for everyone and he wants it to be crystal clear. So if you're a Christian, you can take it as an unchangeable principle that anything that contributes to your growth and holiness is an aspect of God's will for your life. And anything that hinders that growth is not God's will for your life. Remember, God is interested in you being conformed to His Son. Remember that it is the unchanging principle in our existence to be conformed to the image of Christ. And you remember that God's original intent was to us be in His image. In fact, when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were in heaven, they decided to make man in their image. And Adam and Eve were created in their image. And it wasn't until sin took place that that was severed. But when you accept Christ, that is rekindled. And now you and I have the ability here on this earth to live in the image of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we allow the flesh to dictate how we can live. And that doesn't reflect very well. Number three... Give it all your heart. Give it all your heart. Colossians 3.23 says, Whether you, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Difficulty in your life <clears throat> is not an indication that you're out of God's will. It might be an indication that God wants you to press harder and deeper and have more resolve and not give up, but trust him as you follow his word. Number four, work hard for others. Ephesians 6, 5 through 6 says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. It was interesting when the Cavs just won their national championship that they talked about their heart for each other, their love for each other. And every team that you hear wins championships, it's always about the heart. It's always about the compassion, their love for each other. And you and I as Christians are to live that way in our jobs, and our neighborhoods, amongst the church, wherever we are, to have that same passion. Give your bosses your all, even if they're difficult. It's often the way to bring them to Christ. If you have your uh, message bulletin there, inside the front cover, there's a box down the bottom. It says, Live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. That's a true testimony of a child of God. Now, these are a few principles that cover the basics of knowing God's will. But I can hear you saying, okay, look, I get these. These are great principles. But what about the little things, the everyday things? What about my decisions about careers, relationships, the people that I hang with, my friends? What what about all these different things? And I think a clear expression of this is found in what Paul wrote in Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9. He said, finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What did you fill your mind with this week? How much time did you spend thinking on what's true? What's honorable? What's just? What's pure? What's lovely? How often did you get in the word of God this week to understand the mind of Christ and what he wants you to be and what he wants you to be transformed to be? Then he goes on, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace Will be with you. This means he is actively leading you step by step. We are to pursue the best things in life. But notice something here. And let me just speak to deacons and elders for a minute. Deacons and elders are chosen because of their spiritual maturity, their ability to discern and to live out the Word of God. And men, we should be able to tell people, as Paul said, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. Now, the idea of going out on that limb, you know, the idea of saying, hey, whatever you see me do, you do, and God will bless you. That's scary. But he's not just talking to elders and deacons. He's talking to everyone about the heart that is surrendered and willing to step up. Um, I'll brag on one of my deacons right now. Of course, he's not a deacon. He's taking a break. But Bill Garling noticed that the sign out by the street was hanging by a chain, one chain, so he went out to fix it. And while he was fixing it, a stranger came up to him. And he needed help. And you often know where these things go, right? Right off the bat, you're, you're making judgments and everything. But apparently, the man had come up here from Florida, he'd gotten a job, and when he got up here getting off the Greyhound bus, somebody stole his luggage, which contained all his tools for his job, and consequently lost his job. And he was trying to find a way back to Florida, and he had no money. And rather than just hand him a couple of bucks or anything, Bill put him in his car, took him to the police to verify, then took him to the VA spent time taking him around to try to get them the help he needed. Three hours of his evening spent on someone he didn't even know. Now, I don't usually brag on people publicly, but that's a deacon. That's someone who lives for other people. And I, it's just a blessing to me to hear that kind of thing. And you know, I could tell you stories on all your men, how great they are and what they do. But, but that happened this week, and it was fresh in my mind. Our goal is to live out this scripture. So then he goes on to say at the end of verse 9, he says, And the God of peace will be with you. Not the peace of God. The God of peace. You not only get the peace, but you get the source of peace. And when your mind is focused on the things of God and you turn from the world, the Spirit takes more and more control. And the peace of God floods your heart. And then when things come into your life that are out of control, and you go, what is going on here? What happened here? You can embrace it and say, God, where where are you leading me here? This little conflict I didn't expect, but you've allowed it to come into my life. How do we handle this, Lord? And you watch God work through that as he leads you in his perfect will. And then, of course, finally, look to the Lord. This is daily and even hourly fellowship with God. Psalm 32.8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Now, clearly, if God's going to lead you with his eye, he must first get your eye. But look at how clearly concise that is. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. This is God telling you. Look to me. I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to lead you. So we must then be willing to let God guide us. If you are serious about finding the Lord's will, you absolutely must be willing to let the Spirit guide you. And you know what this means? Being willing to let go of something you desperately want if it's not God's will. And I'm reasonably confident that you know when it's not God's will. There are some things we just know we just hate to give them up. There was a young officer standing on the bridge of a ship during World War II. And as the ship approached the harbor in the Philippines, uh, the ship came to a, a stop and a small skiff came alongside, and a harbormaster climbed on board and took the helm of the warship. And there was a young officer on the deck, and, and he looked in, and he could see the dock right in front of him, maybe a half a mile away. And he thought to himself, surely even me and my inexperience could bring the ship to dock. Why bring this national on board and turn over the helm of this warship? Well, as they proceeded, the captain asked him to go to the side and look over the side of the boat into the crystal clear water. And as he did it, he noticed mines at all different levels, all strewn around the ship. You see, clearly, they needed a guide to get them through the minefield, someone who knew where the mines were, someone who could guide them through the things that he couldn't see. Do you realize that there are minds in your path? This morning, there are minds in the way of you following God's will. There is one who tries to scuttle your vessel at every chance he can get. We need a clear and present guide through who can bring us safely to port and lead us, even when we think we know the way. Proverbs 3.6 says, In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Do you believe the word of God? Do you trust the word of God? In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. The straightest distance between two points, or the shortest distance between two points, is a straight line. And God knows that line. And he needs he knows how to bring you to his will for your life when you and I don't know. May even be tough now, may be difficult, but when you follow him, your path will be free of minds. It may be challenges, it may be difficulties, but God will deal with every one of them. And you know, it reminds me of a little poem that I've shared with you before. "One ship drives." east and one drives west, it's with the very same wind they go. But it's the set of the sail and not the gale that determines the way they go. How is your sail set this morning? Who is at the helm of your life? Who is guiding you through every step so when the turmoils come and the difficulties hit and the storms rage, you can be confident that he is guiding you Perfectly with his eye. You see, God has never promised us a life free of troubles. I think we're all pretty well aware of that. Even the most staunch Christian who trusts God in every way lives in a sin sick world, and things happen. But nothing will come into your life that he hasn't first allowed. And when he allows it, he has a plan to take you through it. Knowing God's will is a must. Knowing God's will can be known beyond the shadow of a doubt. But it takes you surrendering the helm of your life, committing yourself to him, thinking on what's lovely and pure and all those things, and knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt that he will direct your path. So obviously the question we we ask in closing is, Do I really want his will? And what is the alternative if I don't? I trust this morning that you will give your life to this truth and allow him to make of your life what he intended to make of it before the foundation of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word and for your will and all the things that you do and the things that you teach us. We thank you, Lord, that We can understand now beyond the shadow of a doubt that you want us to know clearly your will. But it requires that we're honest with ourselves. It requires that we're willing to surrender the life we're hanging on to. Nothing we can do on our own can come close to what you will do with it if we give it up to you. And I pray this morning if anyone is struggling in this area maybe they don't even know you as their savior, and they're stuck back in the beginning of the message that until they're saved, they're not going to find any leading from God. I pray that you would help them to recognize that you and you alone, your son, Jesus Christ, paid for their sins. And by accepting that and believing that he came to pay for their sins, they can have eternal life. And I pray for Christians who have accepted you in principle, accepted you for, for eternity, but struggle right now to give you the reins of their life. I pray, Lord, that you will change their hearts, convert their hearts, give them a new desire to live surrender to you and be in full enjoyment of what you can and will do, what you've promised to do, what you've said you will do to conform us to your image. And we'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. God bless.